And uh, just so that you don't think that I'm plagiarizing, it is true, you can find a book that is titled Simple Church, and uh, that is a book that I am referring to as a resource. It's written by Tom Rayner, and uh, the subtitle of his book uh, is Returning to God's Process for Making Disciples. Simple Church, Returning to God's Process for, my, for Making Disciples. You might call it getting back to the basics. Like, let, let's just remember the, the, the basics. What is this all about? The fact of the matter is, is that, that we only have so much time. Uh, the story I, I mentioned in my prayer, uh, I was speaking with a, a fourth grade teacher, and this teacher asked her class on uh, the, the Monday following Easter, just casually, did anyone go to church? Uh, yesterday, and it's a class of 20 students in a rural community where you would think 10 hands, 15 hands, one hand went up. And then the kids began to ask questions, and, and uh, one of the questions was, you know, what, what is Easter? And uh, the teacher just gave a real quick answer about Jesus raising from the dead, and there was one student that was like, no way! You can't rise from the dead! Like this was new information, something that they had never heard. It's, it's incredible. We only have so much time. I know in my life, I only have so much time. And the older I get, the more I recognize that window just closes so fast. And we as a church, Crossview Church, which is all of us together, we have a window of time for us to, to be doing what God is calling us to do. And so as for me, and, and as for us, my hope is that, that we're going to spend that limited time doing the best things and doing the, the right things. Because what I also know is true is with the absolute best intentions, we can get just one degree or two degrees off the mark with the very best of intentions. And then if you proceed in that, that trajectory, one degree off course, over a while, you miss the mark by a landslide. And so this sermon series is really, it's something that I'm feeling in myself, a need to, to make sure that we are on the mark, that as a church, we are aiming at the right mark, doing the things that God has called us to do. So would you join me as we pray for this series? Lord, um, I thank you that you use your word to offer us course corrections uh, in life when we get off mark. And Lord, we pray for this series that you would do just that, where we have maybe strayed a couple degrees to the left or to the right. Would you center us on who it is that you've called us to be and what it is you've called us to do? Lord, Crossview Church is your church, and so we invite you to reveal your will for your church. Give us the courage to align ourselves with your word. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple church. This morning, my hope is simply just to define terms. I just want to spend this morning talking about both of those words, the word simple and the word church, and we're going to begin with the biblical word, the more biblical word, the, the word church. Uh, in Greek, the word church is ekklesia, 
and it's formed by a prefix ek, which means out of, and it's formed from the root verb kaleo, which means to call. And so literally speaking, the ecclesia, the, the assembly, the, the church, is the community of the called out, which begs the question, what have we been called out from and what are we called into? And we're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. Perhaps what might be a little surprising is that if you begin reading through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the four Gospels, you're going to see that word ecclesia pop up twice. Uh, Jesus only mentions the word church, ecclesia, twice. And there are some people who uh, adopt this posture of being pro-Jesus, but anti-church, and, and maybe using this as a, a, a way to justify that. You know, Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about the church. Uh, and so we're pro-Jesus, but we're anti-church. And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning, instead of counting the number of times the word church is used, we need to weigh when the word church is used, because what Jesus does say about church is hugely significant. And I, and I want to take it a step further and say that you cannot in any possible way be pro-Jesus and anti-church. Imagine me coming up to one of you husbands right now sitting next to your wife and saying, you know, man, I, I like you. You are, you are awesome, but your wife, she is a pill. And me somehow thinking that you'd be okay with that. Like if I were to come up to you and say that, I would, should probably be ducking. You know, so when we adopt this pro-Jesus, anti-church position and think somehow that Jesus is okay with that, that's absurd. The church is his wife. It's his bride. He loved the church. He died for the church. Uh, and, and so, yes, it's true. The church has given us all kinds of reasons to throw stones. I mean, institutions uh, in every sector have let us down. And you think of the church world, you know, scandals seem to break weekly. And, and so, yes, there's so many things that that are wrong and that are, are, have been corrupted and, and the allegation of hypocrisy, it's all true. But before we throw a stone at the church, let's consider what Jesus said about the church. So the first time the word church pops up is in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And if you'd like to turn there in your own Bibles, you're welcome to do so. It will be on the overhead. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who do you say I am? To return to last week's sermon, this is the chiastic moment. This is the X marks the spot moment for every single one of us. This is the moment on, on which our life turns, on which our world changes, depending on how we answer that question. You are the Christ, Peter said, and in saying Christ, he's saying you are the Messiah, you're the chosen one, the one the prophets told about, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Yes, Peter. And Jesus could have just left it at that, like, way to go, Peter. You got the Sunday school question right and moved on. But, but instead, he goes a step forward, and he takes Peter's response, and he uses it as a launch pad to declare what his intention is. On this rock. And, and let me just tell you what I believe that to mean, because there, there's a, a stream in Christianity that believes the rock is is actually Peter himself but I believe that the rock is the testimony that Jesus is Lord on this rock on this testimony that Jesus is Lord I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it so this is profound and it's rich and I, I just want to break it down with you. There's four things embedded in that that leap off the page. And the first is what we just talked about in the children's sermon. It's the possessive pronoun, my. I will build my church. My refer, refers to ownership. When somebody owns something, that means they have rights and they have responsibilities over the thing they own. I use a lot of uh, white, rusty pickup tr uh, truck analogies. I'm going to do it again. I, I own a 2003 Dodge pickup truck, and I love my pickup truck. And because I own it, I get to decide who drives it. If you come over and steal, take, borrow my white rusty pickup truck without my permission that's a serious crime in our country that's a serious crime with a, with a serious uh, consequence attached we call it grand theft auto uh, we're not authorized to climb into anybody's car and just take it for a joyride whenever we want so if Grand theft auto is a serious crime. How much more is church jack? If hijacking a car is a serious crime, how about hijacking a church? The church is Christ's church. It's my church. That means it belongs to him, which means we don't have the right to, quote, steal it, to hijack it to use it for our own purposes and our own parameters. Now, here's the amazing thing about the passage. Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys. It's my church, and I'm giving you the keys. So he's lent us the putter. It still is his putter, 
It's still his church, but he's placed the keys. I'm mixing my analogies here. He's placed the keys in our hands. What that does not mean is that we now get to take it for a joyride, that we get to just do whatever we want with his church. It is still his church. He's defined the parameters and the purposes of his church, and he's entrusting to us that we're going to drive his church in a way that he has called us to. So it's his church. I've got to be really careful as the pastor to be careful about my language. I try not to use language uh, talking about my church. It's not my church. Now, for fun, when we were trying to come up with the name of the church, I told the consistory, Scott's Church. Let's go with that. And just didn't get any votes. It's not my church. I'll talk about the church that I serve. It's the church I serve. It's the church you serve. The church doesn't belong to any one of us. It's Christ's church, and he's given us the keys. The second thing that leaps off the page is Jesus' declaration, I will. I will. Think about your own will. We can, we can debate the free will of man, like God's given us free will. Here's the fact of what I know about your will. It is imperfect. That the things that you will to do, you don't always do. And neither do I. Uh, and part of that is, is because we've got some integrity gaps. Honey, I will be home at five. And then I'm not home at five. And often that's because I've, I've not kept my word. I've got some integrity gap in my life. But sometimes it's because things happen that are outside of my control. A derecho blows in. And trees are down over every single road in Fulton. Power lines are down. There is no possible way for me to get home by five. You and I are not God, which means we don't have control over every atom and particle and molecule and every other scientific thing I've forgotten. Uh, God's in control. And, and, and so when God says, I will do something, we can reckon that it will be done. Because there's one, God has perfect integrity. He, he keeps his word. What God says he's going to do, he always does. So God is a God of integrity and he is a God who's sovereign, which means when he says, I will, there is nobody or nothing that can say to him, no, you won't. I will make light, and there is light. And there is no power of darkness that can stop God from making light if he says, I will make light. I will what? I will build. I will build my church. Now, I'm aware that we often reduce Jesus' mission and thus our mission to say, you know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's biblical. But what that also is, is a reduction. Jesus came to seek and save the lost because he was doing something bigger than that. What did Jesus come to do? He came to build his church. It's the only place that Jesus ever says, I will build something. And, and building his church is really part of something else. He's bringing the kingdom of God to us. So that is the mission, the kingdom of God coming to heaven in breaking with Jesus Christ. And part of that is him building his church. 
And part of how he builds his church is by seeking and saving the lost. So this is the, the purpose of, of Jesus. The purpose of the church is to build the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I am going to build my church. So what is the church? Remember we said we are the ecclesia, we are the called out community. What are we called out from and what are we called into? Peter actually says it so well that I'm just going to read what Peter wrote in his epistle. He said this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We just sang about this. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, Peter writes, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What is the church? According to Peter, it is the people of God, the chosen people of God, the holy nation, the royal priesthood who have been called out of darkness and into the wonderful light, a now a people belonging to God. We are a people belonging to God, called out of darkness, into light, given orders to now live as aliens and strangers in this world. We have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Finally, the way Jesus ends this passage is so powerful. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. I want you to think about a, a gate and think about if we could step back in time to a city. What was the purpose of a, a, of a city gate? Well, the gate is a, a, a means of defense. The gate allows the people of the city to determine who gets to come in and who do we keep out. And, and so the gate is there so that they can keep unwanted people out. So hell has a gate. And, and Satan wants to keep Jesus and his his church out. And Jesus is saying that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. And what that means is that the church is on offense. How often do we think of it that we're on defense, that Satan is on offense, and that he's got us back on our heels, and that we've got to run from Satan? The scripture doesn't say run from Satan. It tells us to take our stand tells us to resist Satan, and actually tells us that he's going to run from us, that he will flee from us. The church is called to be on offense. The way we say that is we've got a mission. We've got to go to that fourth grade classroom and love these students and let them know that God loves them. We've got to go to our neighbor who's never even heard it. There's a real good chance that your neighbor is that, that, that child who's grown up and has never even heard that someone rose from the dead? That's absurd. That, that's our mission. That's how we storm the gates. And we've got this promise that the gates of hell 
will not be able to overwhelm the gospel. The God of peace, Roman, Paul writes in Romans, will soon crush Satan. That's an offensive statement. We're on offense. So yes, we have an enemy. But, but we take our stand, we resist, and then we attack. We go into the dark places and we turn on lights. We go to people who have no hope and we, we share hope. We share the love of Christ. This is the first place where Jesus talks about church. He talks about it one more. Uh, and you only have to flip a few pages. It's in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. Jesus says this, If a brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others and go along, and, so that they go along and may, that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is the second time Jesus used the word church. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Wow, this is some tough language from Jesus. So if he doesn't listen to you and he doesn't listen to you and one other, tell it to the, the church. One of the questions... Uh, that I've often wondered is about membership. Like, should we continue to practice church membership? And, and it's easy to become cynical about that because I know in our denomination, we, we pay an assessment for every church member, and it's easy to think, oh, the only reason we're doing this is so that the denomination knows how much we should pay them. But when I look at this passage, what I see is membership. Like, there's this, this, this church community, and and God has given this community, he's given the church to help guide his people. And he's given the church authority. One of the questions when uh, people become members, they're asked uh, here in a worship service is this. Do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of the church? We actually believe that God has given us the church. And when I say church, I don't mean me. And I don't mean the, the board, I mean us. God has given us the church to guide his people. That means we all have a role to play to make sure that, that we stay on the mark. Because as you and I both know, it's easy to get off mark. In our own private lives, it's easy to get off mark. And what a blessing and a gift it is to have someone, to have a community that rallies around us and helps us get back on mark. Now, all too often, the church has done that shamefully. Shame people. This is not about shaming. It's about guiding and correcting, course corrections. Like We are all in this together, and we need one another. But what it requires is a spirit of submission. And that just is hard to come by today. You know what it's like today. We treat church like a, a voluntary association. You know, like I've got my my KT3 membership right now, but I might try Planet Fitness, and if that doesn't work out, I might go to the YW, and, and then might take a few weeks. You know, that's how we kind of treat church these days. It's not what God designed. Like, this is a, a vital community where we need one another, and we make a covenant to one another. We make these promises. Do you promise 
to accept the spiritual guidance of the church. So this is the word church. Now let me just speak really briefly about the word simple. Uh, if you look through scripture, you're, when you find the word simple, it's usually not uh, spoken of in a, a positive way. The word simple means naive, means foolish, uh, gullible, unwise, easily led astray. So obviously we're not talking about that. That is not the church that we want to be. Uh, but what I am talking about is captured in this conversation that Jesus had with some Pharisees. You can read about it in Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of the, them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law... And everything that the prophets have talked about, all of it, hangs on these two commandments. This is what you should do. Love God, love your neighbor. So what was the, the test in this question? Well, for the Pharisees, there were a lot of laws. They had poured over the, the scriptures and they had come up with 613 laws. Why 613? Because the Ten Commandments, there are 613 Hebrew characters. So they're very into numerology. So 613 characters, there's going to be a law for every letter of the Ten Commandments. Of those 613 laws, 248 of them were, were negative, like don't do this. And why 248? Because they believed that was the number of bones in the human body, which left 365 positive laws 365 days in a year. So they had all of the, this large system of laws, and they're asking him of all of this, what's the one that's the most important? And Jesus boils it all down and says, love God, love your neighbor, and everything else, all these things that you spend all of your time, Pharisees, debating, getting on Facebook and having your theological arguments all the finer points of the law, all of that, it all hangs on two things. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. Jesus is, is rebuking the Pharisees in the way because what they have done is they've taken something that God gave which is clear and they've made it abundantly, overwhelmingly complex and cloudy. And so when we talk about simple, what we're talking about is clear. Like God has told us some things that he wants us to do as a church, and it's not complex. It's not confusing. It's not cloudy. It's extremely clear. Now, now being the church in the, the 21st century, it's not easy. Simple doesn't mean easy. But in this, the way we're using it is it means clear. We know what God is calling us to do. So I am so excited to be able to explore this with you. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we thank you that you have called us uh, into this community. Uh, Lord, when you chose us, you didn't chose us to, to dwell alone, but you chose us to be part of a, a family. And Lord, you're right now at work um, building your church. You're at work ushering in your kingdom. Lord, you've designed the church to be just a little bit of a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. 
So Lord, again, I, I lay this series before you and pray that uh, you would show us, and, and more importantly, that we'd have the courage to align uh, our lives, align our church with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.